0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. And speaking of vomit, uh, we're going to read about vomit today in the scripture. So yeah, there's all kinds of fun things in the Bible, you guys, did you know that? And, and vomit is one of them, and the stomach linings of a fish, and all kinds of just weird stuff going on. And so I'm excited for it. We're in Jonah chapter 2. If you don't know where that is, um, take a look at like about how far I went right there. Still Old Testament, but you're gonna pass like the Psalms and Proverbs and all that, and you're gonna get into the um, prophets. And Jonah is what is called one of the minor prophets. It doesn't mean that he's less important, or or a story is less important, but just that the book is smaller. So it's four chapters. It's literally like two pages in my print, in my Bible. And it's a super short and strange story. And most of the, the prophets that we find in scripture are usually like it's talking about the word that God wanted them to say. And it'll expound on that a lot. That means it'll give a lot of information about the word that God wanted to speak through this prophet to Israel most of the time. It's not really a narrative. It's not really a story. And Jonah is different. Jonah is a story, not so much about the words that God said, but the thing that Jonah did with those words or didn't do. And it's this super intriguing story. The other difference is God usually goes to prophets and says, this is what I want you to say to my people, Israel, so that they'll start living the way I actually want them to live, not the way they have been living. And in this case, God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. It's another country, it's another nation, it's another land, it's another people. It's a people who worship other false gods, not the God of Israel, not the God that, of the Bible, the God who created all things who we worship. And the difference too is these people were actually enemies of Israel. They were violent enemies. And they were like the most violent nation of its day. And in fact, If we go back, and we're gonna do more of this next week as we look at Nineveh itself and that story, but if we look back at some of the, the ancient writings and the things that we have of that time, possibly one of the most violent people groups that the world has ever seen. Just some terrible, awful, disgusting, violent things, horrific things that they were doing. But God says, I want you to go and I want you to speak with them and I want you to tell them I've heard of their violence and here's an opportunity to stop to change your ways, to repent, to turn toward me. And Jonah goes, yeah, no thanks. I'm not about that. So instead of getting up and traveling by land north up to where he's supposed to go, instead he goes down to Joppa and he boards a ship. He travels by sea instead of by land this beautiful like language all throughout Jonah that's very purposely showing Jonah's doing the exact opposite thing God said to do. So he travels by sea, he, he pays his fare, he gets on this boat, and he gets on a boat with some people who also did not worship the God that he worshiped, the God of Israel. They worshiped other false gods. And again, with this beautiful language of Jonah, everybody who worships a different God in this story seems to do what's right. Uh, they, they seem to have much better character than the guy who's a prophet of the true God. He keeps failing miserably. And so he's running away from what God said and they're in the sea. So he goes down to Joppa. He gets down and boards a boat. Then he goes down to the bottom of the boat and he takes a nap. And he's just snoozing. while this great big storm comes. And in in ancient Near Eastern culture, the sea would have been seen as chaos, danger. Anything about the water was like, So you don't have really a tale of much of the sea up until this point. Like New Testament, we get some fishermen who are going out at sea a lot of times. But this is like the first like seafaring tale we get. You guys remember ever reading like Chronicles of Narnia? Did anybody read those? The series of books? So like I I read the series of books and then you get to the Prince Caspian in the sea one. And it was like suddenly it's a whole different story. It's like there's never any sea in this, Right. And it's just like a completely different story. And that's kind of what's happening here. It's like the Hebrew Bible, all of a sudden this is a big like 180 turn from the rest of the story. So they're in the chaotic sea and there's a huge storm coming. And these people find out Jonah's the one responsible. His God, who he says is the God of the land and the sea, which is kind of ironic. Like my God's the God of the sea, he says. And he's trying to run away from his God on the sea. Like it's just absurd. And he goes, yeah, this is the God who I worship and I'm disobeying him and I'm running away from him. And they go, oh, thanks a lot. Thanks for bringing this destruction on us, right? And so he goes, yeah, throw me in and and you'll be fine. You'll be fine, just throw me in. And they're like, we can't do that. Again, the people who don't worship the God he worships are more noble. We're not gonna take your life. We're not gonna endanger you. So they start throwing all their livelihood off board. Everything that they own. All their goods that they're going to go across and trade and sail and make their living with—they're throwing all that offboard first before they throw this stranger who brought danger to them offboard. Their care and concern for the sanctity of human life is even greater than Jonah's. And then, eventually, they finally go, "Okay, there's nothing else we could do. It seems your God's pretty bent on getting your attention. So here you go," and they throw him overboard. Now, if Jonah was truly repenting in that moment, if he was like, oh man, I should have gone to Nineveh. Shoot, my bad. Well, I, I guess I need to, you know, guys, it's, it's my fault. Let me, let me handle this, right? If he was truly repenting at that point, he would have been like, God, I'm sorry. Take me back and I will go to Nineveh. But he doesn't say that. He goes, throw me into the sea, the chaos, the destruction, the storm. He would rather die than do what God asked him to do. So he gets thrown in and he goes down into the sea. This constant rhythm of this language of going down, 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 down. And you gotta wonder like, how in the world does Jonah even sleep when there's this crazy storm going on? And the words that are used in his sleep are not just like I said, he's taking a little nap, but it's actually the same language used when the first man, Adam, God puts him to sleep to pull a rib out and form the woman, Eve. So it's like deep anesthesia sleep right? Like he's out. And it's this imagery we're getting that Jonah, by continuing to run away from what God said, by continuing to ignore the voice of God, what he's doing is he is lulling himself to sleep. He is putting himself into this downward, this downward despair, this downward spiral of sin, and this complete like muting himself to the voice of God. And it's finally there at the lowest he can get thrown into the bottom of this chaotic sea that God actually gets his attention. And so we ended chapter one last week with this really weird line. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord appointed a fish. Jonah would have died in the sea. He would have drowned. Like for certain, there was no land nearby, but God sends this giant fish to swallow him up. Now I know that's super weird, but let's just acknowledge the fact that we all are sitting in this room based around a faith that we believe that this guy came back to life thousands of years ago, right? Like he not only came back to life, but he came back to life because of the power of the spirit of God within him and that he himself is the son of God, the image of God, the fullness of God who came here on earth as a human being, lived perfectly, died, rose again. Like that's crazy enough, okay? So don't let this fish thing get you all caught up. Like don't let it freak you out. There's been lots of debate on whether this is like allegorical, if it's just a story trying to teach us a lesson or if it's real. And that's not the point. I will say Jesus mentions Jonah later. And if Jesus thinks Jonah was real, then I'm going to say he's probably real. But again, it's not the point. The point is Jonah is thrown into the sea and you would think a fish coming and swallowing you up and eating you would be death, right? Like if a giant fish eats me, There's not a lot of hope left. But that's not the case here. The Lord appointed a great fish. This ends up being what saves him. So we're gonna read all of Jonah chapter two today, and it's all of 10 verses. But I wanted to reread that last verse from chapter one too because it's actually, in the ancient Hebrew writings, that was part of what what we would think of chapter two. For whatever reason, Westerners decided like to change that and go to this, this verse with chapter one instead of the beginning of chapter two. I don't know why. Probably just because as Westerners, we always like to change things and, and say that we've improved them. Like, why do we use uh, the standard measuring system instead of the metric system? I don't know. Like, there's, you know, there's a system out there the whole world uses, and then we create a new one, and we call it the standard. I, I don't know. But that's just what we do. So I don't know why they did that. But That was part of this story. So as we're reading chapter two and we're hearing this prayer that Jonah starts having inside the cramped stomach linings of a fish where it's dark and it stinks and it's probably like, he's like, I'm done for. I'm gonna die, right? Remember that verse that preceded it. The Lord appointed this fish. Jonah thinks he's gonna get away from God. He thinks he's going to escape what God's saying to him. God's got other plans. Before we read it, I want to read Psalm 39, 139, sorry, where the psalmist writes this, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol is this old Hebrew word that means like the depths of the earth, the grave, death. If I go there, there you are. If I live at the Eastern horizon or settle at the Western limits, remember Jonah's traveling as far West as he can to get away from what God said. Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. This almost sounds like Jonah himself could have written this. If I go as far west away from you as I can, if I go down, down, down to the deepest, darkest places, inside the belly of a fish, at the bottom of the sea, God, you're still there. You're still there. I can't outrun you. I can't get away from you. Why? Because all of this is yours. It all belongs to you. The fish in the story, the sea and the wind and the waves, the sailors, Jonah himself, everything in this story belongs to God. It's his and he cares for it. And that's what I want us to get as we look at this story. Is like God is an interactive God. He is a present creator. He is a God who is there and active in his world because he cares for it. So let's read Jonah chapter two. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. That's the last time you're gonna hear the word about the fish, okay? That's not the point of the story. this is what Jonah said. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the hearts of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then... You raised my life from the pit, Lord, my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I forgot there was one more line with a fish. The vomit line. Father, we ask that you would help us to see what you are trying to say to us this morning. God, grab a hold of us. Do not let us be lulled into a sleep where we shut ourselves off from your voice. But God, awaken our hearts. Find us in the deep, dark depths of our soul. And Lord, raise us to new life by your word, by your spirit by your presence here with us, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you're just like, you gotta cry out, like, God, help me out. You know, like, you you got nothing left to do. You, You don't know how to handle the situation. All you can do is cry out. Like, I've had situations where I'm driving and that happens, right? And it seems like for sure, I'm gonna get in a wreck. Like there's nothing. There's this car, I was on the I-8 one time driving home from Yuma, this was a few years back and on the freeway, we're heading home and there's this car heading right towards us, the opposite direction on the freeway and there's a car on the side of us here and we didn't know where to go. It was this little old lady who had no clue she was on the wrong side of the freeway. So we had to call the police and have them come out but, but I thought for sure we were just gonna collide. Like what, what else could happen? I was like, God, help us, me and my friend in the car. And we just cried that out. And I can't even remember how, but somehow we were, we were fine. Have you ever been with someone who doesn't believe God and then like life gets hard and they're like, would you pray for me? Or like something happens and just even like, it, it's common language now, common vernacular, but they're like, oh my God, right? <laughs> oh dear God, expression that comes out. It's like, you don't even believe in a God. Why, where's that coming from, Right. And that's kind of like what I was thinking about reading Jonah chapter two. Like this dude's trying to shut off the voice of God and he's totally running away. But even in his hardship, when, when life gets really, really hard and he's got nowhere else to go and he's cramped inside of a stomach of a fish, what else can he do? Cry out to God, right? So even Jonah, who's super disobedient. And then hear this. The Lord appointed a fish. He was in the belly for three days and three nights. Then, verse one, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. It's like the dude, three days? Like, really? He was that closed off to God that he's just like resolved. I'm just going to die here in this fish. I'm good. It's like when I'm trying to get my son's attention and I'm like, do you want to just like sit in your room all day? And he's like, yep, yep, I'm fine here. Just to like to show me like he's in control. This is what Jonah's doing. He's throwing a little pity party and he's pouting. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to die here. I don't want to Three days. I don't know what it's like inside the belly of a fish, but it probably was not comfortable. Right? I'm still like blown away at the fact we have tons of babies being born right now. And as I had a baby shower yesterday, I'm like, how in the world was that in there? You know, like, I, It's weird. It's weird and it seems unnatural, but super unnatural to be inside of a fish. And fish stink enough as it is. They make my wife want to gag. She, She can't eat seafood, but you're inside of it. And all the things that's been eaten from the bottom of the sea are being digested in there with you. And it took this dude three whole days to finally get to a point to go, all right, God, here I am. You got my attention. None of us are inside of a fish right now, but I can guarantee that there's at least someone in this room who is trying to do the same thing with God right now, just shutting him off. Like, all right, I, I'm, I'm willing to listen to these certain things. Jonah was willing to go and talk to King Jeroboam and tell him like, yeah, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Build up our army and our defenses. That's great. But when I came to go talk to another nation, he's like, no. Like, what's that thing where God's trying to get your attention and go, hey, listen to me. And you're going, mm mm, nope, not here. And I can guarantee there's at least someone in this room because I'm one of them. Like, that's me. I, the only reason, like, I keep coming back every Sunday morning and doing this is because God is, like, getting a hold of my heart every week that I'm in here. This is me. Is it you too? Like, is there some area of your life you're just not willing to listen to God on? And listen, God, was, God loved Jonah enough to send a fish to go swallow him up at the bottom of the sea that he would not let him just go and run away. God could have called, there were other prophets at the time. We talked about last week, Amos, Hosea. These are people who were actually listening to what God said and doing what he asked. God could have gone to one of them and said, hey, Jonah bounced. Can you go to Nineveh for me? They would have been like, all right, God, let's do this. God doesn't do that because he wants Jonah. He wants to get Jonah back. He loves him that much. He went to that great lengths. That's why we didn't call this a whale of a tail. We called it God's relentless pursuit of Jonah. And he is relentlessly pursuing each of us too. If you're in this room today, if you're in this room, it's because God is pursuing you to some extent. Like you're here, hearing the word of God, seeing a group of people sing praises to a God who is active and cares for his world. He's pursuing you. He wants to get your attention. Sometimes it's hard to get our attention, right? Like sometimes we're little kids just doing our own thing and still don't even know when someone's talking about us right? Because we're in our own world. We're wrapped up in our own thing. That's okay for little kids. Listen, we're not all little kids in here. Let's stop being children, right? God's trying to get your attention, wake you up from that sleep you've lulled yourself into. Now, I'm being a little harsh on Jonah. Here's the thing. He truly does repent here. We're going to get to the next couple chapters and we're going to see like he still acts a fool. But isn't that true of all of us? Like we actually come to a place of repentance. We're like, God, I am genuinely sorry we're not listening to you. I will do all the things you ask me to do now. This is what Israel said at the bottom of the mountain. I will do all the things you ask me to do. And then we turn around the next moment we're totally disobeying God again. Like that's just true of all of us. We're Jonah in this story. We're Jonah. And God's trying to get our attention. But credit where credit's due, this prayer is a beautiful prayer of repentance. Where God, God has gotten his attention finally, and Jonah's going. All right, you're the man, you're in control here. And this is what he says. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. He's not out of the fish yet. There's something deeper that's happened. It's not that God answered his prayer to get him out of the fish. You know, in this whole prayer, Jonah doesn't want to say, God, get me out of here. He's not praying to change his circumstance. What he's doing is he's acknowledging he's in desperate need of God. And when God answers him, like, I can only imagine, that's like God's presence showing up and Jonah finally feeling it. Him finally going, oh, you're here with me. You answered me in my distress. Beautiful. There's something much deeper happening there than just getting him out of his trouble. I cried out from deep inside Sheol, inside the grave. You threw me into the depths. Verse three, you threw me into the depths. Who threw Jonah into the sea? the sailors, right? He goes, throw me into the sea, you'll be fine. But now he's saying to God, you threw me into the depths, verse three. And he says, into the heart of the seas and the current overcame me, all your breakers and your billows swept over me. So sailors threw him in, the waves are crashing over him and Jonah's going, this is all you, God. You threw me into the sea and your waves are crashing over me. All of Jonah, like the language used in here, later in chapter four, we're gonna hear about a little worm that God uses. Like, I don't know why we, we never talk about the worm. We always talk about the fish. It's pretty cool too, I think. Like from a great big fish to a tiny little worm to sailors who don't even trust in him to the seas and the wind. God commands all of it. God's in control of all of it. All of it is his world. And Jonah's finally acknowledging that here. Where can I go to get away from you, God? It's all yours. Every square inch of creation belongs to our God. Now that's terrifying news, but it can also be really great, gracious news. If you have a God who's after Jonah like this one, like he's trying to get his attention to save him, not to destroy him, And so Jonah goes on, he says, I've been banished, but I will look once again, in verse four, I will look once again to your temple. He can't really look anywhere. It's probably pretty dark inside a fish stomach, I would imagine, never been in one. But what he's saying is, I will direct my heart. I will turn my focus back toward you, God. The whole story of chapter one was Jonah turning away from God, going the opposite direction. Now he's going, I will turn back toward you. That's what repentance means, right? You've probably heard that said before. Repentance is this turn. It's this pivot. It's a 180 from this is what I have been doing and this is what I have been believing to this is now the story I believe and I will live in this story. And so Jonah had this terrible moment of repentance at the beginning of the story. God goes, hey, I want you to go and do this for me and Jonah turns. He's repenting from believing in the story of God. He goes, I don't want that story anymore. I will go as far away from you to get away from that story as I possibly can. And now, God's finally gotten his attention, and he repents again. He turns back. I will turn back toward you, God. There's beauty in this story for anyone in here. Like If you've never believed in God, Know that he's pursuing you, trying to get your attention and you could turn toward him because he's always had his face turned toward you. But for many of us who are sitting in here who have probably like called ourselves Christians for a long time and done the church thing for a long time. And we know if we're truly honest with ourselves, like we'll listen to God on the things that suit us, but we turn away from him on those other things. Know that God's pursuing you too and you still have opportunity To turn your whole life toward him. To give your whole self to him. To recognize, like Jonah did, I got nothing. I can't do this on my own. I tried going in my own understanding, and guess where that got me? In the depths of Sheol. At the very bottom of a watery grave. Here's where I ended up, based off of what I thought was right. Remember, this is a time Israel, they all did what was right in their own eyes. And where did it end up? So where does that leave us? Like, are we are we trying in our own might to overcome, to understand, to figure out what's going on in the world right now? And how do we, if if we just, if people would just, right? Like our hope is in us, our hope is in humanity. There's this huge spirit of humanism at play in the world right now. Do you guys know that? And what that means is this. It means there was a day when there were two kinds of people. There were people who believed in the one God, Yahweh, God of Israel, and then the other pagans in the story of Jonah who believed in all kinds of other gods. But every single person on earth in that time believed in some kind of God, some kind of power at work in this world. They knew that it wasn't us. It wasn't humans. They knew they had no control over their agriculture. They had no control over their cattle. They had no control over any of life. They had no control when the sun would come up or go down. And they recognized there's some other power here. Somewhere along the way, throughout the course of history, a new thought started to develop. And it's, we are that power. Humans. We can make these decisions for ourselves we can overcome. If we would just work together, if, if we would just believe in the science, if we would just whatever, insert whatever you want there. There's this trust and belief that humans could come together and we could solve our problems. Brian was sharing you know, his conversations in the Uber car and he's like, he starts with, man, this world's not the way it's supposed to be, right? And they're like, yes. And I love that because We're starting with what can we agree on? Everybody can agree that this world's a mess. And here's the thing too, is most people would agree that they're a mess. Most people would agree, yeah, I I don't got it all together. But you know what's unique right now is most people would then say, well, then what's your hope to fix it? Well, if I just start, well, if we could all just so hold on. The problem is humanity, but then your hope is humanity too? That doesn't seem to make sense, right? That's like saying like, I don't know. That's, I, I remember one time I went into my dad's room when I was like three or four. And I was like, dad, my ear hurts when I do this. And he's like, stop doing that. Right? Like that's good parenting advice, right? But what I was trying to say as a little kid was like, I do this all the time. It shouldn't hurt. And now I'm doing it and it's hurting. There's a deeper problem. The solution, well, just don't do it anymore, right? And I think like we've done that a lot with like, there's a deeper problem in this world. And we just go, well, let's just like sweep it under the rug. Like, let's just see, let's just change our behavior. Maybe we can fix it. And we're not looking at the deeper issue. And so it's like looking at a sink and going like, oh, there's a leak in the sink. Well, maybe if I just run the water some more. That's like saying humans are the problem, humans are the solution. The problem is a leak. You got to fix it. You need another tool. I don't know what that tool is. You can ask Russ later. He he knows. There's a thing in my Bob you can get, and you do something with it, and it fixes it, right? We have a deeper problem in our world, and it's within each and every single one of us. All of us turning away from God, shutting off his voice. Going down into this deep lull. And then we think we're going to be the ones to fix this problem. Jonah's repentance is finally coming to a place of going, I can do nothing and I'm stuck. But you, God. And what does God do? He makes a fish throw up. God shows up, He commands the fish. Just like he commanded the fish to swallow him, he commands the fish, and what does the fish do? He listens, because that fish is better at listening to God's voice than I am. And he throws him up, and Jonah has a second chance to do what God had been asking him to do. Repentance is coming to this place of recognizing we are in deep need. We read this a couple weeks ago from Matthew 5, from the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Why? For theirs is the kingdom. Like pouring spirit, recognizing I cannot do this on my own. I am in desperate need. That's the only place that God wants us to be. That's the primary place we need to get to. It's not that God's waiting for you to get your act together. God's not waiting for you to stop doing that sin that you can't seem to stop doing. God's not waiting for you to get the right information, right? And the right theology down. God's not waiting for you to make the right steps. He's waiting for you to go, I am in desperate need. Tim Keller uh, on his writing about Jonah, he says the first two chapters are like the story of the prodigal son, the younger brother who runs away. Like the dude wants nothing to do with his dad. He just wants the blessings from him, right? Jonah was cool with the blessings until life got hard or he, God wanted him to do something he didn't want to. So the younger brother gets that and he runs away. He doesn't want anything to do with his dad then. And he's running and he he goes to another country. He lives a completely different life apart from him. He does all the things that their culture would have not agreed with, completely running away. And it wasn't until the younger brother gets to this point of being completely empty. He ran out of his resources. He's working a terrible job that he hates. And he's basically enslaved And he's going, I got nothing here. Maybe I can just go back and be one of my dad's servants. He hit this point of recognizing even being a servant to my dad would be better than this. I was once a son and I had all the the joys and fulfillment and the convenience of being a son in a wealthy home. I threw that away and now I got nothing. I need him. I need to go back to my dad. I gotta turn back to him. And that's what we're seeing in Jonah, in the first two chapters. The next two chapters we're gonna get into, we see the rest of that story unfold and Jonah takes on this other side, the older son in the story. Do you guys remember that part? This younger son comes back and the dad welcomes him back. He runs after him, he pursues him and he embraces him and he brings him back into the home and he doesn't just make him a servant, he completely restores his sonship. He gives him all the luxuries of being a child in his home again. All the inheritance and the riches and they throw a party to celebrate. And he's got an older brother who sees all this and he's so mad. I stayed here and I've done everything you asked me to do. I did all the right things and you never threw a party like this for me. And yet this son of yours squanders your wealth and then he comes back and you welcome him back. And he's sitting there at the end of that story sulking outside of the party. He won't go in. And the dad comes out and he goes, he's pursuing now the older son just like he pursued the younger. He goes, listen, everything I have, it belongs to you too. You could have enjoyed any of this at any time. Like basically, you've just been working so hard to prove yourself. I just wanted you to be here and enjoy me. Won't you come back into the party? And we're left at the end of that story wondering what's gonna happen. We don't hear, does he stay outside and keep throwing a pity party and pouting or does he come back in? And we're gonna find that in Jonah, chapters three and four. Jonah thinks too now, after he's done running away from God, now he gets back to his old ways of being like, yeah, I'm a prophet of God, I'm a Hebrew, I believe in the one true God and I've now done the thing, the hardest thing ever he could ask me to do, I've done it. And what does that do for him? It produces this, self-pride, and he's left at the end of Jonah 4, sulking outside of the city going, how could you do this for them? They never obeyed you like I obeyed you. How could you love them like that? God pursues him again. Jonah, Jonah, I love you. I've just been asking you to come and, and enjoy my presence this whole time. Stop running away from me. Stop trying to Prove yourself and just be with me. And we're left at the end of Jonah wondering, is he gonna do it or is he gonna stay mad? I like to be an optimist and and go like, where did the story Jonah come from? And many people think either Jonah himself wrote it years later or he retold the account and so someone else wrote it down for him. But either way, I would like to think if he's telling this story and he looks so bad in it, that it must be because he's finally come to a place of going, oh yeah, man was wrong. Like this third repentance happens, hopefully, for Jonah. I don't know, but I wonder how else we got the story. Again, that's the optimist in me. But again, it's this reminder, like over and over and over again, is this constant pursuit of God and us constantly having moments of going, okay, God, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. And then running away again. That was Israel's cycle all throughout Judges. God, help us, we're in need. He would come save them. Thanks, God. Ooh, this, this culture over here looks pretty good. The idols they're worshiping, I like that gold and silver over there, right? And then they start running away from God again, and then they get themselves in more trouble. Oh no, God, come help us. And then the cycle repeats all over again. All of history is God on this relentless pursuit. Stop running. Stop this cycle. Stop running from him. Stop trying to prove yourself to him. Just be with him. And So Jonah finally finds us at the bottom of Sheol, the watery depths, the belly of the beast. And Jesus himself, we saw last week, says, the sign I will give to you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. I too will go three days and three nights into Sheol. But Jesus rising out of the grave isn't just his own salvation like it was for Jonah. And it wasn't just for a small little city like Nineveh, but it's for the whole world. This is what Jonah said at the end of his prayer. Verse 9, I will fulfill what I have vowed, salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the greatest line in the whole book of Jonah, and it's the greatest line in the whole Bible. And it's repeated often throughout the Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what he's recognizing, at least in that moment, is his own salvation has to come from God. But he's also going, oh, this group of people, Nineveh, who I hated, but you loved. And I said, no way, they're not gonna get your forgiveness, God. But you said, yes way, I'll send a fish if I have to. Like, oh, salvation belongs to you. You choose who gets saved. You're in control of that you welcome all people in. And I love that. It reminds me of the last time we hear that sentence in scripture. It's all throughout. The last time you hear it is in Revelation 7. I think we got the verse on the screen there. Revelation 7, when John gets this vision of the earth and the heavens being restored, being made new, Jesus returning and being king over all things, just like he was always meant to be. And he says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. You can bet that there are some folks from Nineveh there. There are some Hebrews there. Some Samaritans. Some Americans. Some Iraqis. Some every people group throughout the history of the whole world. Present On this day, no one could number how many there were there. Standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. This is a unified one voice together. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. The same confession Jonah makes, salvation belongs to our God. Jonah didn't know about who else would come and spend three days in Sheol though. He didn't know about the lamb who would come and make all things right. And so they complete that sentence in Revelation 7. Salvation belongs to our God. How? How does salvation come? Where does it come from? Salvation belongs to our God and to the lamb. The lamb. Not like this cute little like sheep that you picturing your head but Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice for all people, the way they used to sacrifice a lamb and that that blood would atone for their sins. Jesus, his blood being shed on the cross is what ultimately covers all people who would trust in him. You just gotta stop blowing yourself to sleep, stop running away from him, stop shedding off the voice of God and turn toward the lamb, Amen.